Hyde Park United Methodist in Tampa, Florida, this is the Bible Project 2020, a journey to reading the Bible without fear or frustration. I'm your host, Matt Hotho. This week's episode is a two-part conversation between Joanna Schweitzer and Emily Hotho on the characters of Joseph and Moses. If you haven't listened to episode 3A, I would recommend doing so, as it offers an overview of this week's readings, as well as a deep dive into Joseph's story from the end of Genesis. In this second part of the conversation, Joanna and Emily discuss the character and story of Moses, the key figure of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. We're introduced to Moses and we hear the daring story of how he and the Hebrews escaped from the Egyptians. We are at a pivotal time in the biblical narrative. As we leave behind the fanciful, larger-than-life stories of creation, the fall, and the patriarchs, and begin experiencing the triumphs and struggles of a group of people, the Hebrews, led by the complex figure of Moses. Hey, Emily, thanks for coming back. Let's pick up where we left off. So Joseph created this safe, fertile valley for his people to thrive and prosper in a position of honor until at some point things changed for the Jews. Yeah. (laughs) The Israelites, the early Israelites at that point. So that's where, you know, eventually we have this next opportunity for Moses to sort of present himself because things weren't so good. It didn't always stay rosy. Yes, it did not. It did not. So Genesis ends with chapter 50 with the death of Joseph and then Exodus uh, begins listing some of the generations of who all came to Egypt. And um, they say it was about 350 years later that the Exodus Mm. story picks up and the Israelites are now enslaved. And it says a new king or pharaoh has come to power, one who did not know about Joseph. So Mm. like one who no longer knew to favor or care for these people. They're not special anymore. Mm. They don't have a place of privilege anymore. I think it's interesting that there seem to be about 350 years where like there doesn't seem to be a direct word from God either. Mm. I mean that's a like a long time in history for these people who are God's people to just be like, well, we're still in Egypt. We're not in this promised land that God told Abraham about. We're just here and mm. there doesn't seem to be any prophets, any big miracles. There's just this page of the Bible, and then the next page of the Bible. Here we are 350 years later in Exodus. So, and I guess in the long game, it gave them time to grow in number. So they were safe. They were protected. Yeah. You know, the, the, the Scrabble group of 100 people is now 10,000 or yeah. maybe more. So, yeah. So there's a new, new king in town who doesn't know about Joseph. And uh, they decide to make this plan to kill the Israelite boys. They have mm. the midwives, you know, just kind of, if, it, if it's a boy, get rid of it. And they refuse. And I think it's interesting that they, mm-hmm. that they lie. They're like, mm-hmm. oh, we would think, oh, the Bible says don't lie. Well, we got somebody lying right here in the Bible to, in order to do the right thing. Mm. Like things are maybe a little more complicated than they seem. And these women are heroes in a way of this story. Yeah, you think of other times in history, like the Holocaust, where people lied to hide people to protect them. So yeah, definitely times where it gets tricky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting too, that the, that the Hebrew midwives are named, but then like, we don't get the name of the Pharaoh, mm. um, that, the biblical authors don't always seem concerned with like naming the most important people in by human standards. They're giving us names of these Hebrew midwives who end up mm-hmm. being like these un, unsung heroes. Mm-hmm. Like 
God's people would not have been able to continue on also if not for their if not for them. Yeah, yeah. For their courage, their willingness to to it says they feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Hmm. So I just thought they were kind of cool Bible characters that, you know, we think that this is a story about Joseph and Moses. Most of the stories dominate with the male characters. So yeah, yeah we have to be the way some heroes here that we don't see in the movies very often. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought those two women were kind of interesting as well. Yeah, absolutely. So Moses um, didn't start out as a hero on the side of the Israelites. He was kind of a, I don't know, sort of like an in-between worlds, if you will. He didn't really belong to any tribe per se because he was raised by Egyptians, but maybe not valued by them, maybe not considered an equal by them. We don't really know what the relationships were. We have to speculate. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he obviously wasn't raised in the tradition, the oral tradition or the ritualistic tradition of the other Israelites. So he couldn't probably identify with everything about them, even when he wanted to try to connect with them. So uh, he's kind of an unlikely hero to have to go back and help them. Yeah. I found myself <laughs> yesterday when I was reading over this text, actually trying to go back and, okay, when did he realize that he was an Israelite and not an Egyptian? Mm. And it doesn't, it doesn't exactly say, I mean, no. he was raised by Pharaoh's daughter. He's raised in the palace, but obviously by the time that he uh, kills the Egyptian who was, you know, torturing this Hebrew slave, he, he must've known he was mm -hmm. a Hebrew, uh, to stand up and do that. But like, there's not a clear point in the story where he finds out, oh, you are this type of person, not this type of person. So yeah, I think, yeah. I think you're right on that. He just kind of grew up in between worlds, sort of relating to, to two very mm -hmm. different groups of people, two very different families. Um, probably a lot of that, a lot of us mm -hmm. can kind of relate to that in yeah. some different ways, feeling at home or not at home in different situations. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of his upbringing. He kills an Egyptian and then ends up fleeing to Midian, uh, where he gets married, has a kid, and then we read in the end of chapter two uh, that God heard their groanings and remembered God's covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Mm. So once again, we've kind of gone through a bunch of mm -hmm. like action in the story or history where we're not really hearing an act of God. You know, God did this. Yeah. God did that. We're hearing what the people are doing. Mm -hmm. And then we just get this subtle reminder. Okay. God's looking down, even though they are mm -hmm. enslaved and things are not going well for the Hebrews. God is looking down. God is concerned about them. Mm. And then we get into the burning bush in just the next chapter. So mm. God has a plan. Moses doesn't necessarily want to be part of it. <laughs> no, no. He's finally I... found a family. He's hidden in the desert. He thinks life's pretty good. He finally has someone who likes him, but that's not what God has in store. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love in the burning bush story where, um, chap uh, chapter three, verse seven, the Lord said, I have seen the misery of my people. Mm. I've heard them crying out. I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them. And Moses was probably thinking, oh, great. God's going to come down and take care of this. And then the next thing God says is, so I am sending you. <laughs> and I, I just love that. Like God is concerned. God has seen the suffering. God is going to come down and do something, but it's going to yeah. be through this unwilling yeah. human leader. 
And I find it interesting too, that you know, it's not really until Jesus that we start to think about the Holy Spirit and even have that named, mm-hmm. but it's clear that God works through the Holy Spirit throughout the Old Testament, but it's just not called out. Yeah. And the Spirit is with them. The Spirit sends them, you mm-hmm. know, we have to speculate, are they having dreams? Are they imagining this? Are they psychics? I mean, like, how do they know that God wants these things from them? How do they discern this? But yeah. And yeah, we believe that the Trinity has always been the Trinity. So yeah. the Holy Spirit is, is definitely... With Moses, all of these stories, (laughs) and with Moses, and uh, speaking through the bush, and uh, and all of that, yeah. So, yeah, Moses tries to resist, and he says, "Who me? You know, who am I? Why are you picking me?" And God's answer is, "I will be with you." His answer Mm -hmm. is not like, "Oh, well, it's because you're very smart and well qualified," or "Oh, it's because you come from an Egyptian family and you'll be able to relate to them." Like, there's there's not a big reason right. that God gives like that I will be with you. And then he says, and this will be the sign to you. Mm-hmm. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And so like God is telling Moses, there's going to be a sign that I've been with you all along, mm-hmm. but you're not going to get that sign yeah. until the whole darn thing is over. All the plagues, the Red Sea, all of the, all of that struggle. I'm going to be with you. You might not believe it until I give you this sign that's going to come. It's like a big trust exercise. Like yes. fall back and I'll catch you, but it might yes. be a while. <laughs> I think of like, so many things that I have gone through, yeah. moves that I've had to make in life, yeah. places I've had to go where I can look back now and say, oh, God definitely wanted me in Clearwater. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to come to, I, I didn't know where Clearwater was. Yeah. I had never heard of uh, my church or the city of Clearwater. I wanted to go to Jacksonville. It made sense. I had family there. I had a you know, couple of trusted mentors and uh, older friends there that I could really rely on. All my plans were like Jacksonville, Jacksonville, Jacksonville. Yeah. And I look, yeah. I look now and I'm like, well, if, of course I needed to come to Clearwater. Like (laughs) everything about my life is, yes, God was working in that. Like this is where I need to be. That's awesome. I think we all have stories like that. And we kind of see that same thing happening with Moses. God says, I'm going to be with you. And how would you, how would you compare Moses to Joseph? Like, is is he gung ho and confident and ready to go? No, no. He keeps resisting and he gives all these, all these reasons like, mm. well, but who am I going to tell them? You know, what's your name, God? Who am I going to tell them sent me? Right. The Egyptians had all these different gods that they worshipped. They had the sun God. They had all these all these different deities. And so yeah. Moses wants a name. Who am I going to tell them that you are? And so God gives a name. I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And that Yahweh becomes mm. kind of the, the name for God uh, throughout really the rest of the Old Testament. Mm. Moses is like, well, but what if they don't believe me or what if they need a sign? And it's I think okay. I can relate to Moses. I think most of us would be like, well, can I, can we talk through the strategy a little bit before yeah. I go all the way up there? And this like doesn't go the way I thought so it would. So God gives him like a bunch <laughs> of signs. He's like, well, here's this thing with a snake and here's this thing with like a cloak and you're going to put your hand in and it's going to come out healed. Here's this other sign. He gives him all these different things. Yeah. And then Moses is like, well, but I'm not very good at talking. So could I get somebody else, you know, to go instead? And God's well, all right. How about your brother? Like God keeps accommodating Moses's fears and concerns. I'm incredibly patient. Just, yeah. God could have just <laughs> zapped him dead or made him do what he wanted, but he, 
Yeah. I mean, I think of like when my kids ask for ridiculous things and, you know, I, I want to be the tough parent. He's like, no, you're not going to do that. You're going to do what I say. Yeah. Well, but okay, let's compromise. Some negotiations just yeah. to get out the door. Yeah. So, so he gives him his little backpack, like Dora the Explorer. He's <laughs> yeah. like, here you have your staff and you got your brother and you got your map and, you know, mm-hmm. you got everything you need. So let's get going. So he heads off finally. He heads off. He heads off. <laughs> There's this weird story about the foreskin, which we can just skip. <laughs> just <laughs> to say about this is that. PG for this one. So, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So then we find out too, that things are getting worse, uh, for the Hebrews. They are now told that they have to make their bricks. They have to go find their own straw. So they have to mm-hmm. basically do harder work in the same amount of time. So if Moses needed any, encouragement to go ahead and do this he got it like the Mm. suffering of his people just got worse if he thought well maybe a new pharaoh maybe things will get better maybe it's not so bad in egypt it's like no it's worse yeah you're really gonna have to go do this so in chapter six we get some more stuff about um, god reassuring moses again with more promises say to the israelites i am the lord i will bring you out I will free you, I will redeem you, and I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Um, those are verses that are have become really important to mm-hmm. um, a lot of Jewish people reading the text. Mm-hmm. Um, some say that those four promises represent the four cups mm-hmm. at Passover, which would have been then the same cups that Jesus would have been using at the Passover, um, which has become our Holy Communion. So some of that is speculating. We don't, we mm-hmm. don't exactly know for sure, but those promises of God yeah. um, nonetheless have meant, have meant a lot to God's people, both Jew and Christian. Um, they apply not just to Moses and the people in this situation, but really to all of us. I'm the Lord. I'll bring you out. I will free you. I will redeem you. I will take you as my own and I will be your God. Those mm-hmm. are just kind of, if people need something encouraging to read in yeah. this text, those are kind of some nice verses to go back to uh, before we get to several chapters of plagues, <laughs> which is what's coming next. <laughs> so there's some reassurance and then things get yeah. worse, not necessarily <laughs> for the Israelites, but for the people that don't want to cooperate. So. Yeah. That was one interesting thing about the plagues that I noticed as I was reading through them, mm-hmm. that they were kind of like um, like smart bombs that are meant, mm-hmm. they were meant to affect the Egyptians, but not the Israelites. So like the plague that affected their livestock, mm-hmm. um, like the Israelites livestock was fine. The Egyptians livestock all died. These plagues were like targeted specifically to show, uh, that Moses had authority and that God had the ultimate power. Mm-hmm. That it wasn't just random that no, really it's, it's a problem with, with what you guys are doing. Yeah. It was just very specifically <laughs> it's personal. targeted. It's, it's personal. Yeah. It, it is you. It's not, it's not me. It's you. No, it's you. It's you in this case. Well, I don't know if you noticed too, one thing that I never picked up on from the epic, you know, movie versions is that at times it sounds like God would allow Pharaoh to come around if, if he chose to. And at other times it makes it sound like God is actually hardening his heart as yes. if to better give himself a platform to show his power. Yes. So it's kind of confusing. It's like, wow, would, it, would, it, would a kind and benevolent God really harden someone's heart to him? But it's almost like God needed the opportunity to say, okay, I'm rolling up my sleeves now. If you don't think I'm awesome, let me just show you a couple of things. <laughs> yeah. In the number, I mean, that refrain of Pharaoh's heart 
being hardened is repeated, I mean, numerous times in this section of Exodus. And sometimes it is, uh, it's phrased in a way that we don't know who is doing the hardening. Mm-hmm. In some of the times it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Mm-hmm. And I think we can all relate to times mm-hmm. where we have just been like stubbornly turned against something that we know God wants us to do or that we know is right. And we've just said like, I just refuse. I'm not, yeah. you know, sometimes we have hardened our hearts And then in some of the verses, it does say that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And I think of... It's perplexing. It is perplexing. You wouldn't think that God would want, um, you know, to turn anyone Mm -hmm. away from the opportunity to know God. So it is confusing. But we think, again, of the the original people Mm. just trying to write these stories down and make sense. Mm. Um, They, like we, probably... You know, like we wonder, you know, is is this is this God or is this caused by humans? Mm. And like the answer is yes, it is. It is all of that, and it's all kind of like we'll never know. <laughs> yeah, it's intertwined or it's mixed up in a way that that is not simple to understand. Yeah. and I think we see the same sort of like mixed up, tangled together. Like we are co-creating mm-hmm. our lives with God. Mm. Even now, and it's not easy to just look and say, "Well, well, God caused that," or "No, I caused that," and I was off of God's mm. plan. Like, no, everything we do is kind of like God and us mm. co-creating together. But yeah, that uh, the Pharaoh hardening, the hardening of his heart, is definitely an interesting theme. I also think it's interesting that like he keeps bargaining or making deals toward the later plagues. He's like. All right, I'll let you go, but like just the men can go. Okay, well, you can go, but like you can't go very far. Okay, well, you can go, but like not for the whole three days. Well, you can go and take the women, but not the livestock. He's and not used finally, to negotiating. And then finally, he's like, just go. Like, get out of here. These plagues have gotten How soon can you too be bad. Yeah. Yeah, it seems a couple times like Pharaoh is even thinking about repenting and saying, mm. oh, Moses, will you pray for me? Um, or you know, wow, I really see from these plagues now that yeah. that you're serious. Uh, I have sinned. Uh, we see some glimmers of that. He's just an mm-hmm. interesting character. He's not just the bad guy. We kind of mm. like, man, it would be cool if he did really yeah. repent, but I guess we never know. Well, so they, they, they start to get out of there after it gets really bad. I don't know if you want to talk about how bad it gets before they finally get to leave, but ultimately it does come to a crescendo with the Pharaoh's own child. Mm-hmm. Um, so sacrifice is pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. We get to that final plague of the firstborn and that's kind of where we get the Passover story um, and the Exodus in chapter 12. And Passover, of course, mm-hmm. is a, a holiday still commemorated by the Jewish people today. Passover also relates to our last supper that Jesus was celebrating mm-hmm. with his disciples. So, so lots were, of... Yeah. So they were spared by the angel of death, Yeah, passed over them, but... Not so lucky for the Egyptians. Not for the Egyptians, yeah. Yeah. I thought it was interesting in chapter 12 and 13, while we're hearing the story play out, we're also simultaneously getting instructions for celebrating the Passover. Mm. Like, it'll say, you know, this is what was happening, the firstborns and, you know, the... Israelites were able to pack up and get ready to go mm. with their their bread that they had to take real fast to go before it had risen. Yeah. And then it would say, you're going to celebrate this for generations to come, mm. and here's how you're going to celebrate it. There's a long list of rules, and some of them are pretty intense. Lots of rules. <laughs> and it's interesting that the rules like don't come later. They're like mashed right in there with the story. And that's probably because somebody was writing it yeah. later on, saying, right. hey, here's 
how this happened originally and here's why we celebrate it today. So they probably and weren't packing their stuff and getting yelled at with all the rules. <laughs> probably <laughs> yeah. not, but it's interesting to to it's interesting that it reads that yeah. way because like I think of like having a baby. You're not in the middle of having a mm-hmm. baby and go, oh well next year we're gonna have them a birthday party mm-hmm. and it'll be Sesame Street themed. And then the next year mm-hmm. you're not thinking about the celebration while the thing is mm-hmm. happening. You're just like in the midst of it. Um but but there are times when you're in the midst of something crazy and intense mm. and to kind of know, okay, well, later you're going to look back on this mm-hmm. and you're going to reflect on what God has done and mm. you're going to have a, you know, a ceremony or a, a service that's going to help you to commemorate how God was working. But, yeah. but in the midst of it, I mean, I imagine they're grabbing their bread, they're screaming, yeah. they're running. It's like very intense and crazy. But then they're simultaneously being told, you know, hey, generations from now, this is going to be an opportunity for worship and for like spiritual growth Mm. to look back and and see how God was working the whole time. Well, and the degree of obedience that God was going to expect for this pretty magnificent favor and sort of intense circumstances. I mean, if they had any doubt of the awesome power of God, they were no longer having to question or wonder if God had capabilities. Yeah. (laughs) So it's kind of like, hey, well, I know it's kind of intense right now, but I'm going to have to ask a few things of you. Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing you're probably going to say, okay, (laughs) (laughs) but let's not forget this. (laughs) Yeah. This is one other thing that stood out to me. They Mm. are singing these songs. And then my little heading of chapter 15 said the song of Moses and Miriam. Mm. And I was reading that going, okay, Miriam is Moses' sister. Mm -hmm. We get this little part here, chapter 15, verse 20. It says, then Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand. All the women followed her with tambourines and sang. Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and rider he has hurled into the sea. Hmm. And as I read that, I thought, wait a second, had we met Miriam earlier in the text? And I started flipping back and going, I don't see her mentioned. I'm Google searching. Where else mm-hmm. is Miriam mentioned in the Bible? Like, well, she's not really until Exodus 15, but way back in the beginning of the Exodus story, it says that his sister mm. stood at a distance to see what would happen to him when Moses was being floated uh, down the Nile River. So was that Miriam? Was it yeah. a different sister? Like, we don't know for sure, yeah. but it, but she was mentioned there. And the fact that she is mentioned as Miriam the prophetess, it's like the author didn't even feel the need to explain or like give her an origin story. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably because by this point, everybody knew who she was. She, she too, probably by then was a hero or like an epic character in their community. Well, and I would think the name of prophet would suggest that she might have some of the same gifts that her brother does as discernment. Yeah. That she must have had messages to reassure and, and comfort the people yeah. to be exalted yeah. to that degree. Yeah. So like kind of going back to this theme of heroes, like we, yeah. you know, we start out thinking we're talking about these great characters, Joseph, yeah. Joseph and Miriam Moses. wasn't in the movie. <laughs> not a big character in the movie. Um, and yet here she yeah. is. We find out that she was, you know, probably such a big character. Yeah for the early Israelites that they didn't even need to introduce her. They said, Miriam, the prophetess. And there she is singing this song to the Lord and leading the people. Yeah. And she and Aaron were probably major assets to the validity of Moses having come back under questionable circumstances. So they seem very respected in their community and that must have been a gift. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I think that's neat that we've kind of found in stories that are about heroes, kind mm-hmm. of these other unsung heroes mm-hmm. or, you know, women who maybe didn't get as much mention just because of the culture, but mm-hmm. were clearly doing the work of God as yeah. well, right alongside these men. As Emily read the Moses story in Exodus 1 through 15, she highlighted characters on the edges, the Hebrew midwives and Miriam. Throughout the Bible, there are characters on the edges, largely women and foreigners, who are lifted up in surprising ways. So even though these past two episodes have focused on big heroes of the Bible, it's also helpful to focus on those characters who don't get as big of a mention because getting any mention in the biblical text means that that person mattered. And sometimes our job as interpreters is to read the story and figure out why they mattered. Joanna Schweitzer produced this episode. I'm Matt Hotho. See you next week. Mm